Carmen Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the team in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in, the, in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Oh my goodness, I stumbled. I know. Lorenzo's like, what? What? Let's do it again. No, no. we're not doing it again. <laughs> Hello. Hello, kittens. How are we all doing today? That's a rhetorical question because we can't hear you, but we'll tell you how we're doing. Um... It's the Friday before the Oscars, and we woke up. We we didn't wake up to this surprise. We knew that the Independent Spirit Awards were last night, Thursday night. That's an unusual time for them to happen. They usually happen the weekend of the Oscars, usually the Friday or the Saturday before the Oscars. But I, whatever, the whole, you know, the whole thing's in, in disarray this year. So they did it last night. Which means, weirdly, we woke up on a Friday morning with just complete you know, barrel of award season red carpet looks, which if you've been listening or paying attention for any length of time this past year, you know that we have been struggling to pull stuff like that together. Anyway, you're, go ahead, wait. No, it's just funny because things are very disorganized right now. Like all the collections when they came out, you know, before it was like, all right, all the fall 2021 collection and then all the spring 2022. Now they're like, they, they're dropping them whenever they whenever want. Whenever they can. I'm like, oh, okay, it's fall 2021 uh, collection. Um, oh, and then, okay, the 2022. It's the same thing with like movie releases. I just feel like in the next couple of months, they're just going to start flying. All right, let's just release Black Widow today. We said we were going to, you know, release it next month. Yeah, I just feel like everything's in flux right now. Um, it, we're just, in this liminal right. space where, which liminal, one of my all time favorite words. I really? love using it. I never use it in conversation, but we're in this liminal space where, you know, some of us have been, um, we're fully vaccinated. We're uh, almost 10 days post-vax. Which, oh, wow, good. Yeah, I mean, we're coming up on pure freedom. I two weeks after vaccination, days, yeah. and you're, we're free. We're free to do pretty much not every, anything we want, but a, a serious return to normalcy. Normalcy. I had problems with that word. We went. I went to the dentist yesterday. Dentist. He made fun of my Philly accent when I said this earlier. And if you, any of you are watching Mayor of Easttown, yes, all right, I get it. You know, um, I... We talked about it, and like it was okay. The review we we said it was you know uh, sort of a cliche and everything. But I can't stop thinking about it, and I think it has That's a lot. That's not true for me. I have no. To say. I, I can't stop, it. and I think it has a lot to do with her, with Kate. Uh, I think with, she's always yeah. worth your time. It's what we said in the review, um, and I do. I, I I take nothing away from her very admirable attempt to nail the suburban Philadelphia right. accent, and she. I think she's done it better than almost anyone I've ever seen try on screen. And the, and the reason so many people talk about it is because no one ever tries on screen. You ask anyone, you ask any Philadelphia television or film critic or someone who comes from here, and they'll all tell you the same thing. No one who's in the movies or TV sounds like they're from Philadelphia. Who, set in, Rocky Balboa, does he talks like a New Yorker. If you look at Silver Linings Playbook, they all talk like New Yorkers. Right, right. Um, when... Uh, Scorsese's The Irishman came out. It wasn't set in Philly, although actually some of it was. Some of it was. Yeah, and then it was set in the surrounding um, Pennsylvania area. Um, and I talked about it at the time. I was like, it's so interesting to see sort of like rural Italians on film, American Italian, because all whenever you see Italians on it's film, always it, it's York. always urban. And again, with The Irishman, all of these Pennsylvania Italians sounded like Brooklyn Italians because it's just easier. If you're doing mafia... You know, or if you're doing working class Italians or working class Irish on screen, it's just easier to. Def- I think there's some sort of like expectation by now that you know it's it, if you're doing any mafia anything that there's that's the accent. Yeah, 
But anyway, back to Mayor of right. uh, East Town, which I didn't even expect us to talk about now. Let's just restrict it to the accent. No, I agree. No, let's just... Since we already did a review. But um, she does a great job. I don't think it's flawless. Um, on the other hand, I, I listen to our podcast every week to make sure that the sound is correct, to make sure that one of us didn't say something that we feel... We might have to apologize for or explain further. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is all off the cuff. And you might say something stupid where you're like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe I said that. Oh, my that. God, yes. So, yes, I do listen to it every week. Believe me, it's not because I like the sound of my voice. And after I watched the screener of Mayor of Easttown for the first episode, and I, I texted my sisters, because we're all Philadelphia, or Philadelphia suburbs. And I texted him. I said, it's so weird. Kate Winslet's doing a Philly accent. I, I, I can't handle this. And I... I did say that I was like, I don't think it's quite right. I think she's hitting her O's way too hard. And I know how I say, oh, I know how I say going and boat and coke and all of that. But she was like, overdose. And I was like, "Mm, it's a little hard, Kate. I get it. And if she's coming from her natural Sussex or received pronunciation English accent, that is a hell of a trip. She did a great job. But she said she I said listened to the podcast last week, and this was after me saying to my sisters, it's good, but she doesn't sound exactly like us. And then I listened to the podcast, and I was like, oh, shit, she actually does sound a lot like... I mean, you don't realize your own accent until you're really listening for it. Go ahead. She said in an interview that it was the hardest one she's ever tried. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of actors and a lot of... There were articles written about it this past week. Like, directors and stuff will say, it's just too hard to try and get that accent across Mm -hmm. on, you know, people. And I admit it, like, I love the Philly accent. I do. It's hometown. It's my accent. But I completely agree. It's an unattractive accent. It's not, believe me, it's not. And if I was some sort of national, if I had a radio show or something like that, maybe I would work a little harder to get rid of my accent, which wouldn't be that hard for me because my parents were were from New York. You were born in New York. And they never lost their New York accent. So I grew up in the Philadelphia area, but all of my relatives, or at least most of my relatives, um, are New Yorkers. And Mm -hmm. and a lot of them have old... I have relatives on Long Island, and I have relatives on Staten Island, and those are old-school New York accents. They sound like the Sopranos. Um, And they have always made fun of our accents and everything, but... For the longest time, my accent and my siblings' accents bounced back and forth between New York and Philadelphia. But I, I think in the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, we've all settled firmly with our Philadelphia accents. Right. Anyway, I went to the dentist. <laughs> back to my other point. I went to the dentist <laughs> in the wintertime. I went to the dentist, and I was sitting in the did waiting room. You, did, did they offer you water? No. <laughs> Uh, or, and then they didn't offer me a Coke. Um, but anyway, I was sitting there in the waiting room and I was I tweeted this actually. I was like, it is so weird to be sitting in a public space inside. And I'm really not where I had my mask on and everybody else did. But I was going to take it off when I got in the chair, of course. Um, but I really wasn't particularly worried about it. And I knew the staff there had all been vaccinated and I was vaccinated and. I, I can't wait till you all feel this way. Let me just say that. Just to have it was like this sense of wonder, like, wow, I'm I can do stuff again and not fear for my life or whatever. Not right. fear that I'm gonna wind up in the ICU. Um I mean I said hi to our neighbor uh yesterday for the first time in, in since March twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um 
then the first thing we asked each other was like, oh, did Are you, you get the vaccine? Yeah. <laughs> and she did, and we did, and we're like, oh, great. So, uh, I, and I know, I know, I think only like 30% of the country is vaccinated. So I know a lot of people listening to this are not fully vaccinated yet. I hope it isn't hard hearing this, and I hope you do see that light, and I really hope it doesn't sound like we're, you know, like lording it no, over no, or no, bragging I, about I, it. I hate that. No, but we're I not do doing think that. we're all close. I mean, everything I read right, says right, that right. it's it's happening. Everything's been almost completely opened up. You can walk in in most cities um, without an appointment, any age. I'm over actually the age very of surprised how easy at least some places uh, you can just walk in or or, or get vaccinated. Uh, I, I said. I didn't say this all along. I said uh, once Biden got in there and that team started taking over, mm -hmm. I said that um, it's going to happen a lot quicker than you realize. It's just not not to borrow a phrase from freaking Trump, but you're just going to turn around one day and it's over uh, or as over as it gets. We're n COVID's never not going away. Never we'll deal with away. it every year. Yeah. People are going to die from it every year, just like the flu. And for the foreseeable probably half next half decade or so, you know, way more than the flu are, right. are going to die every year. But I, it will be down to a manageable sense of normalcy very, very quickly go. I agree. Um, I just want to add that I know it's still difficult to get an appointment, um, you know, in some parts of the country. But all I'm trying to say here is that I, I think it's... I thought it was going to be a lot harder That's to get an appointment um, when it opened for everyone. Right. Um, we, I, this was a longer section of Happy Talk than I planned on. I we know. always call the first section of our podcast Happy Talk, which is an old um, broadcast journalism term about, you know, just two hosts sitting and bantering, which that's what, what we usually call it. Again? Happy Talk. Oh, Happy Talk. Yeah. Yeah. We always call it that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I didn't expect this portion of the happy talk to be as long as it did but you know us we like to talk uh so let's talk about what we're going to talk about in the next you know 45 minutes or so a uh, little bit about the oscars again the oscars are on sunday we've done so many oscar focused podcasts that we've right. decided we're not right. going to spend too much time but we'll talk a little bit about our expectations how things have differed this year and once again to remind people about the relationship between a stylist and a star and how that works then then I am going to rant and rave about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, really? And we're doing that in the middle of the podcast. So those of you who haven't seen the final episode, which aired this morning or dropped this morning, uh, you can skip ahead 10 minutes to get to the final portion of the podcast, which is uh, we're going to talk about the Halston miniseries that's coming out on Netflix. The images were released today. They were amazing. We've done a lot of we've done podcasts on Halston before. He is a figure of tremendous interest to us not just because of our love of fashion, but because of our love of queer cultural history and the way he slots into it. Right. Believe me, um, it was painful taking Halston out of our book. He didn't have a place, but I wanted a place for him so right. bad. Right. Uh, anyway. So, and before we do all that, I forgot, and I want to just mention quickly that a lot of, uh, a few people asked, sent emails and stuff uh, to talk a little bit about the lounge and the bars and restaurants and yes, cafes. Yes, but before and, you do that, let's talk like that. about yes. Uh, before you do that, let's talk about Bombas because yeah. they are sponsoring this portion of the podcast. And I wanted to get to that before we got into the rapid fire opinionating. Our um, amazing socks. Our amazing socks. We just both got a new shipment of Bombas socks. Um, if you've been listening to us uh, on the podcast at all, you, we've talked a lot in the past year about having to transition from going to a gym to working out. And we bought equipment and uh it takes a really long time to transition from that mindset none of us neither of us were um experienced home workout people we had always belonged to gyms most of our adult life but 
Uh, it's really funny because things are opening up soon and we have completely perfected our home workouts. We both <laughs> yeah. have like these hour to 90 minute workouts where we utilize all this various equipment and, and, and we're very creative about how we're working out in our house. And we're, I'm just really pleased that we have both managed to, uh, it is possible to bring the intensity level of your workout up to the same level if you were if you have the out equipment. jogging or out, I agree. Although we don't have a lot of fancy equipment, no, but I we mean, have a bench. And I and bought a thigh master off of <laughs> yes. off of Amazon because yes, I needed to work did. out my inner thigh. I was like, you know what, that thing works. Yeah, so that's we, part of my workout. Right. You know, I do like twenty minutes on that. Anyway, back to Bombas. Yes. Lots of things can make your workouts hard. Extra resistance, double speed, one more mile. Your socks shouldn't, though. That's why Bombas Performance Socks are built to be nothing but comfortable and supportive. Bombas Performance Socks have taken all the amazing innovations that make Bombas the most comfortable socks you've ever worn and added their special Hextech performance technology. Bombas Performance Socks are stitched with special moisture-wicking yarn and temperature-regulating vents that allow cool air to flow in and prevent overheating. They come with a pillow-like tab to save you from blisters, stay-up technology, a special arch-hugging system, and an extra layer of cushiony comfort on the bottom for the perfect amount of support. We both wear these socks to work out in. I've said this amazing several, workout socks. I've said this several times before Bumba's. I never cared about my socks. I, and for a fashion person, that that's kind of crazy to yeah. see, but I never pay attention. to. I, I would buy socks. But, I certainly never thought right. socks could affect your workout. Right. Or that, you know, to look for fit and support and, and Bumba's offer you all that. Yeah. And and the designs are great. All the colors. They're fun. Yes. Just fun socks. I love them. That do everything that you want socks to do, for real. Uh, they come in different styles for every sport with specific design features to help you optimize performance and keep you comfortable no matter what you're doing. And like all their socks, for every pair of Bombas Performance socks you buy, they donate a pair to someone in need. They've donated over 45 million pairs so far. So go to bombas.com slash T-L-O today and get 20% off your first order. That's B-O-M-B. BAS.com slash TLO for 20% off. It's worth it, people. Amazing socks. Bombas.com slash TLO. Thank you, Bombas. Lorenzo, go tell everyone about our the lounges. Well, the lounge. Uh, we've, we've had Explain lounge. what the lounges yeah, are. Yeah, the lounges is a post where we uh, feature a restaurant, uh, a bar, and now cafes and, and, and lounges. And we list a bunch of articles. Uh, that you can read and, you know, spend your time reading articles to have your coffee or whatever. It's our open thread. Yes. And then the community comes and, and they, they, you know, make comments and, and reply in the comment section, uh, which I find very interesting because uh, it's funny now I read them now and I kind of know some of you, but just by reading the stuff, uh, which which is very interesting. I, I do enjoy that. Um, anyway, you, people talking about their farm and, you know, they're... they're working for a cheese company, uh, anyway, all that stuff. But anyway, my point is the lounges, uh, we used to have them and it was like on a, on a Friday, right? Uh, it was just one once a week. And I remember, oh my God, hating it, hating doing it. Cause I was like, oh my God, I have to look for a bar. And then with the pandemic, we decided to do every day. I was like, oh my God, now I have to look for a bar or a restaurant uh, or a lounge every single day. Um, and now I love it. Um, I love it. And in the beginning, it was a little hard because I, w- I would go look for these places and they were all closed because of the pandemic. Um, it was just very sad to go and see, you know, all they all had the same message on their site. You know, we're closed. 
uh, temporarily closed or whatever. Anyway, um, I and people were asking, how do, how do you find so many wonderful bars and stuff? To be very honest with you, I spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. I'm not joking. Hours looking for a bar. Sometimes I spend four hours just looking for one bar or more. So, but they're fun. I like doing it. Um, I like the the design uh, of most of them. Um, and I, I, I do love them. Look for looking for them. And I feel in a way that I'm like helping them, uh, you know, featuring them and promoting them in a way. I actually have a list of all the places I want to go as soon as we can, we start traveling. I want to visit those places that we featured uh, on our site. But anyway, that's how I look for them. I go to a bunch of sites, um, interior design sites, architects, and all kinds of places. And, um, you know, then I feature, we feature them on our site. That's how we, I, we find them. I know it's, uh, it's one of the hardest things you do every day. It, is it, pulling it, that post together. I enjoy it now, but it takes a long time because, you know, we've been doing this, doing them since March last year, mm-hmm. uh, a different bar, restaurant, or a cafe every day. Um, but I enjoy it. I enjoy doing it, and I can't wait to visit some of those places. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, the Oscars, real semi sort of brief. If we're if it's we're even capable of being brief on anything, um, they're this Sunday. They are the last of the pandemic award shows. Um, uh, hopefully that we never have to go through this sort of award right. season again. Um, it, it really, honestly, we didn't, I didn't want to get into, yeah, whatever. I don't think we mentioned it too much, but it's got depressing after a while. And I think it's a lot of reason why the people, you know, the ratings are so bad on all these award shows because all they did was serve to remind you how right. weird everything right. is. It's weird to see a bunch of people sitting around in formal wear and masks. Right. You know, and then taking off their masks to give a speech or everything's done, you know, Zoom. It's just, you know, whatever. So uh, the producers of this year's uh, Oscars, one of whom is Steven, the director, Steven Soderbergh, have a lot of ambitious plans to do things very differently. Uh, they're they're uh, at Union Station in L.A. is where they're holding it this year, which is a very unusual choice. It's semi-outside and semi-inside, and it's all going to be socially distanced. And um, there was a little bit of a blowback because at first they didn't want any of the nominees giving Zoom speeches. And if you right. weren't there, you weren't going to give a speech. Uh-huh. And I believe they came up with some sort of solution on that. I don't know if it's going to be Zoom or I think the last thing we heard was that they were going to have spaces that they could go to in places like right. uh, London and New York. I don't know where else. Um, but it, as I alluded to earlier, it's also kind of a good, the timing sort of worked out for them, not perfectly, of course, but, you know, things have settled down in Los Angeles in terms of, uh, in the infection rates, the new infections, the numbers are way down. And, you know, the CDC is starting to give guidelines that people don't need to wear masks outside if they're, you know, socially distanced and not, you know, hanging around each other at mass events. So it feels like... It, there's still going to be some of that weird, you know, COVID award season tension. But because the t- the uh, team behind the show works so hard to, you know, solve that problem and because things actually aren't going to be as bad as they were just a couple of weeks ago. Right. This could be somewhat normal. I don't I honestly don't know how they're handling red carpet. Like literally there will be some form of physical red carpet and yeah, physical attendees. Mm-hmm. So. I know that there's something like only going to be four photographers on the red carpet 
and there's only like three journalists they can talk to. There's whoever's from E, and actually, I think, you know, it's not Ryan Seacrest because Ryan and Kelly, I think, are also one of the um, stops that people can make. And then there's like the ABC, whoever's right. on, you know, Robin Roberts or whatever. But it's not like a hundred people. No, it won't be that screaming have, yeah. mass of people that you usually see at the Oscars, but it will actually be a live red carpet. And um, given the way people have been dressing throughout award season, like basically taking every, except for a few people, uh, mostly guys, um, almost everyone's taking every opportunity to work some crazy high fashion when they can. So mm-hmm. I expect we're going to see some looks on Sunday night. What I, are your I, thoughts? I, I agree. Um, and thank God for Instagram, um, because the stylists have been posting pictures and, and doing their best to showcase the designers uh, or whatever they're wearing, the celebrities are wearing. Uh, and even the fashion houses now, like you see Prada and Miu Miu, hiring their own, their own photographers um, so that they can go and take pictures so that they can promote the, the, the you know, the looks. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an industry. Um, you know, they, you know, the houses let them wear this, the, you know, all those looks and, and shoes and jewelry and everything so that they can <laughs> make money. Um, so, uh, you know, and they have to be photographed uh, wearing them. Um so we're very lucky that we have the stylists posting those pictures and even the celebrities are doing their best to, to showcase the looks. But I, it is nice when you see every now and then a real red carpet. Uh, I'm, I'm so yeah. looking forward to seeing. Yes, I, I do Oh, and that. have we talked about the Mechalas coming back this year? Yes, they are coming back. Um, there's going to be two of them. Um, and they're not until September, correct? I don't remember. Something like that. But we'll have more. I mean, that's we're not going to make that the focus of anything. But I... I've been saying to Lorenzo since, I guess, early spring that um, I I feel like we're going to have full red carpet coverage over the summer. And in fact, we might have even more than we normally have in a summer because so many people are eager to get back out there. Films are returning to uh, the theaters. And you can expect like, you know, Charlie's uh, Charlie's Theron and Helen Mirren are in the Fast and Furious movie that's going to be released in the theaters this summer. You can expect some fashion and some real red carpet. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow is coming right. out with her and Florence Pugh. It's like, yeah, that's going to be a full on promotional tour. You know, Loki, the um, series with Tom Hiddleston. I bet you that will also be very, very uh, heavily promoted in mm-hmm. a way that, say, WandaVision could not be. Um, so red carpets are coming back. Uh, and we may actually see a lot more of them this summer than you might think because there's so many movies that they just want to get out right. there. They just want to get that promotional train going again. Even for movies that aren't coming out until the fall, um, you can expect there's going to be some heavy promotion. The, the Cannes Film Festival is happening. Uh, later in the summer, there will be the uh, the Venice Film Festival. So I feel like we are at the last gasp of you and I having to look for red carpet stuff every day. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. I feel like this, um, this Oscars for, you know, maybe I'm just being, I'm trying to find a little closure here or whatever. You know, there's a human, uh, he, people tend to do that. They look for closure, whether it's there or not. And I feel like the Oscars feel like this end to the whole pandemic red carpet. Mm-hmm. This is the last gasp of it. And it's sort of a look to the, to the red carpets of the future i have heard commentators say that the red carpet is dead and i'm like oh my god you people don't be don't be silly don't be you think all those stylists are out of a job you think all of those fashion houses are like well we can't rely on that billion dollars worth of promotion anymore because some 
some fashion writers said we can't do it. Of course not. It's the, all coming back. The bottom line is that it's never going to end because when you make a movie, you make a TV show, you have to promote... <clears throat> That's the, as old as Hollywood. You have to promote the actors. Uh, and the actors are not going to show up looking like shit. So, obviously, they're going to dress up. Right. So, fashion is always going to be part of promoting anything. Right. Um there were red carpets literally a hundred years ago at movie premieres um, when they were silent films and silent film stars. Um, it's very different than it is now, of course, but that whole image based thing about, uh, about celebrity isn't going away. I don't care what anybody says about it. No. Uh, as far as the Oscars, um, no prediction because I really don't think anyone's going to take a different tack. I think everyone's going to dress like it's the Oscars. It's the, you know, Maybe with matching masks and stuff, but no one's going to show up in loungewear like they did in earlier ones. No, no, it's I don't think full so. on Oscar fashion. And uh, let's do a quick because this question comes up every year. Um, explanation uh, of the uh, stylist and uh, celebrity relationship and collaboration and mm -hmm. how that works. Um, for the purposes of our writing, and sometimes this comes up, sometimes people are like, why are you talking about it like it's the celebrity who makes all of these choices? Um, for, well, because first off, it's the celebrity that people, that's, they're clicking on posts, not because it's a Law Roach, doesn't, you know, style, but because it's Zendaya. That's the stuff people look for. It's, if we just wanted to talk about fashion, we could talk about all the runway shows, but we're talking specifically about celebrity fashion because that is the hook. There are people who, are only interested in that or who seek that out. Mm -hmm. So that's the audience, and that's why you write that way or talk that way about the decisions that Zendaya made or Maria Bakalova made or Viola Davis is making, whatever. Um, and then people say, but what does that have to do with the stylist? Do they just hand them clothes, you know, a pile of clothes, and then they, you know, the person at the other end picks? It's more complicated than that, and I'm going to hand this over to you to talk about it further, but I just want to say the idea that celebrities have complete control over everything they wear isn't entirely true, but the idea that they have no control over it, especially the big stars, listen, everybody that's going to the Oscars is going in the outfit she wanted, not some outfit that she got talked into. Right. Um the only time a stylist really has to work to talk someone into wearing something is if there's a contractual obligation that has to be fulfilled. Otherwise, a, a stylist's job is to serve a client, not order them around. No, I agree. Um, first of all, you have to have a great relationship with your stylist. And that's why they spend so many years um, using the same stylist. Yeah. Because it is, it is a... a it, it is a trust issue that yeah. you have to have. Yeah, and you have to get to know each other. You have to get to know each other. That person has to know your taste, uh, your limitations, uh, you know, how far you go um, with a neckline or whatever, or jewelry, if you like jewelry. I mean, the person knows you, and, and they make a selection based on what, what you like. But sometimes you are affiliated with a, with a fashion house like Chanel like, or Louis Vuitton. And it's interesting to see that happening, for example, with Louis Vuitton, um, most of their looks are not red carpet. They're not like an Oscar gown type of uh, look. Mm -hmm. So the, what they do is they, they, they do custom stuff for the, for, the, for the celebrities. So that's why you see a lot of celebrities wearing Louis Vuitton, but it's always custom. Because, and it doesn't look anything like their and runway. And it doesn't look like anything like what they usually send down the runway. So that's a very interesting part. To see, you know, because, it, and then that's why you see uh, a celebrity wearing the same 
um, fashion house over and over again because yeah. they're, you know, they have a contract with them and they have to do it. Um, so it, it, it is very interesting. Same thing with makeup people and, and, and um, you know, hairstylists. You have to understand that these people are obsessed with their image. I mean, they have to be. That's how they make their money. And I'd be too. I mean, if you find someone who does a perfect makeup uh, for you, you're going to stick with that person for, you know, as long as you can. Same thing with your hair and, and so on. Um, so that's why these people develop that type of relationship. And it was sad to see with the pandemic uh, these people, I mean, I, I go to their Instagram accounts and they had no jobs. They had no, you know, yeah. they, 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 they weren't posting anything because the celebrities weren't going anywhere. So, and it is an industry, you know, and when you hire a stylist, a stylist, uh, that stylist go, they hire 10, 20, 30 people. Uh, so it is an industry, you know. Hundreds of jobs and so, lots of money on the line. Yes, lots of but money. But the idea that um, a stylist just comes in and tells someone what they're going to wear is just—that's not the way it works. No, um, I'm sure there are some relationships like that where the star like just has no clue and just says, you know, I, I trust you. But for the most part, uh, the top stylists and the most stylish stars that you can think of—the Kate Blanchetts and the Viola Davises, the Lupine and Youngos. The ones that have consistent high standards when they step out. Right. Um, that's because of a relationship they have with each mm -hmm. other. That's not because the stylist told them what to wear. It's because the stylist figured out what that client's needs are, what their preferences are, and what, and then use that to go shopping among the latest collections, basically. Right. Uh, so Viola Davis, she doesn't like, you know, she likes a lot of coverage. Um, as she's getting older, I think she does not like bodycon gowns in the way, in the way that she used to. I can remember her last Oscar campaign. Campaign, it was a ton of really skin tight, like Regina King style gowns. Um, and she doesn't seem to be dressing that way anymore. And it's not because her stylist told her to. And it's probably not entirely because Viola put her foot down. It's because the two of them came up with a game plan. Right, right. Like, Viola doesn't want to be wearing shapewear. Viola likes bright colors. Viola wants to support black designers. And then her stylist goes off and figures all of that out. And then comes back with options for her. It's she And I think the only area where, uh, from my understanding, where... Um, um, celebrities basically sign off on whatever the stylist picks for them is in the accessory, like the jewelry and stuff like that. Some of them are very, very particular about that. And some of them are just like, yeah, whatever. It, it depends. Like you see someone like um, Nicole Kidman, she's always wearing a watch now. And, and sometimes you look at that, you look at the whole look and like, why are you wearing a watch? I mean, it doesn't. She has even, a contract, right? She has a contract. So yeah. sometimes, you know, they compromise because they, they're making money. Right. Um, sometimes they're paid to wear a certain, um, uh, necklace or a certain right. w whatever like jewelry or a bag yes, or a bag yeah. yeah they get paid they get paid um so and the the funny thing is that i mean you hear stylists say that all the time until they see the look on the red carpet they're not sure if the, if, <laughs> if it works if 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 the celebrity is actually going to wear that look right, right, right sometimes they go home and the mother or the daughter or the husband or somebody at the last minute, says, mm, "No, I don't like this," and right. they change. Right. <laughs> that's why you. And see Hathaway sometime. famously did that to yes. her, for her Oscars gown. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's that's just Oscars red carpet one hundred and one. Um, should be some interesting looks on the red carpet. It'll all be very high fashion and trust when it comes to the A listers. Whatever they're wearing, they they figured that out between themselves and their stylist. Right. No right. one came in and said no. you have to wear no. this. No. I mean, that's very like. 
you know, 1930s, 1940s studio system Hollywood. Do you think anyone tells Jennifer Lopez what to wear? (laughs) No. Do you think anyone tells Kate Blanchett what to wear? No, No, absolutely absolutely not. not. And those are just the high, high, high end ones. Even like Amanda Seyfried or, or, you know, just to pull from the people that we've been covering this Oscar season, even Amanda Seyfried or, or, um, Maria Bakalova, to a certain extent. I think that's... You, no one's telling those women what to wear. Those women have an idea of what they want, and then the, their stylist is helping them pof- to fulfill it. All right, moving on. We'll have much to say about the Oscars fashion, of course, starting on Sunday night when the Oscars... Please follow us on Twitter, because we'll be live-tweeting the whole thing. And um, we'll have almost instantaneous coverage that night, uh, because we have to file a piece, and then we'll we'll probably start writing our... Many, many posts. It'll be fun. Hmm. Yes. Today has been fun because, like I said, we said we woke up with all these posts or all posts. See, I can hear my <laughs> Philly accent. We woke up with all these um, posts, uh, all this potential for posts because there were so many red carpet looks. And um, I said to him, it's so much easier when you have to, uh, you know, sort of bang out 14 posts on high fashion looks in one day than it is you have maybe three Instagram looks and you have to figure out the rest. Those days are exhausting. Mm -hmm. The days when you have a ton of content, those aren't exhausting. And we actually finished most of our work for the day by like one in the afternoon. Afternoon. Yes, I can hear it. Shut up. Um, Fine. I sound like Kate Winslet. There are worse things to say about me. Okay. (laughs) Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, I'm going to talk about the finale, uh, which aired today. So um, you've got 10 minutes. You can skip ahead 10 minutes and if and come back when you've watched it. Um, although I'm really not, there's not much here to spoil because not much happened in that finale. And it's not my, what I'm about to talk about is not the finale totally. It's the whole series. My problem with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it came right on the heels of WandaVision, which was this huge sort of cultural moment that happened during lockdown Everybody fell in love with it. The critics couldn't stop talking about it. It wasn't a perfect series. And um, I was going to say, I don't think it's going to be on anyone's year-end list. But actually, I do. I do think that will probably... WandaVision probably will be on some year-end lists. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, not so much. The thing is, the difference between those two stories is WandaVision started with looking at who Wanda was at the end of all of these movies and what her state of mind must be, which they were correct in assessing that she must be seriously depressed, and then spinning an entire story out of that idea, out of uh, out of what they decided was Wanda's emotional state, they spin this whole story. With, and that was rewarding, because the story had emotional mm-hmm. stakes, because there was real growth to it. Um, with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, they had an ending before they had any other part of the story, and then they tried to write towards that ending. Uh, and it was very, very clear. I mean, it was clear from the beginning that the end of the story was going to be uh, Sam becoming Captain America, picking up the shield and becoming Captain America. So I'm not, I'm not complaining that that was the end. They just clearly had that in mind right from the start and then never really connected all those dots. So the story had tremendous pacing issues. Uh, it would focus a long time on these characters, and you're like, well, I don't know why we're focusing here, and I don't even know what they're, who these people are. Like all this time spent on Carly Morgenthau, who was supposed to be the big bad, and the Flag Smashers, and like scene after scene after scene of them talking about you know what they're fighting for and refugees and all this other stuff, and um. 
A, they're not interesting as villains, and B, uh, I literally sat through the entire final episode going, I, I have no idea what these people are fighting for. I have no idea what they're fighting for. They're refugees and freedom and one world and no borders, but I literally have no idea what you're fighting for. And there's this big confrontation where there's a vote going on in New York City. <coughs> Pardon me, I should take a breath. I'm talking nonstop. Hold on. Okay. There's this big vote happening in New York City that they're all trying to stop, but A, I don't know what the vote is, and B, I don't know why they're trying to stop it. And then it's all all the various Captain Americas and the Captain America stand-ins are all and the worst action scenes I've seen on television in ages. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it just... And there were no emotional stakes. Like, okay, Sam becomes Captain America at the end of it, but... Um, and he gives this awful speech. I mean, I get it. The, the series was touching on things about, uh, you know, being a black man who is facing the legacy of Captain America and whether a black man in America would even want to, to, to take up that legacy. There were some interesting scenes surrounding that and interesting points being made, but it never got fully connected and... and it just all got summed up in this speech at the end about why he was going to be the black Captain America and what he... Marvel MCU films are not given to speech-making like that. Not really. Not even the Steve Rogers Captain America films. And I think when Steve Rogers did give some of those inspirational speeches, there was a sort of lampshading of those moments where people would comment on, oh, he's really prone to giving speeches, isn't he? So to see a character give like this sort of old school Jimmy Stewart style impassioned speech while the news cameras are all, and it's everyone around the world is watching it because the cameras are all on him. It just didn't feel very MCU to me. It didn't feel very Sam Wilson to me. I didn't feel like Anthony Mackie had a handle on the material. So all of that just didn't, there was no push there. My take is, I already knew he was going to have a new costume. I knew he was going to be Captain America. It's all based on the comic books. I knew exactly what he was going to look like in the final episode because they basically replicated Sam Wilson's uh, Captain America costume from the comics. But, um, and I I think there must have been some of that in the planning of the show. Like, oh, everyone knows where this is heading. So there was sort of this perfunctory feel at the end. Like, let's just wrap this up. And okay, now he's Captain America. Nothing made sense. There were no, if there were stakes, I don't know what they were. I don't know what was in danger of happening um, and how many people were actually in danger of, I just don't know. And then there were these characters that were clearly terrorists, but for some reason, the story struggled with the idea of whether to call them that or not. Um, And like Sam had this affinity for the flag smashers but none of that was ever explained i mean i know they touched on it that you know a black man in america might have more sympathy towards refugee groups Mm -hmm. or outcast groups but it never got there so i don't know i don't hate it but um this is really damning it's it's probably the worst marvel cinematic product in a good eight or nine years wow like, they really established a brand, and they've been very consistent. It's very corporate, and it's not... 
you know, breaking any genre boundaries or anything. Um, every once in a while, something creative like WandaVision pops up. I'm not talking about high cinematic, you know, high grandeur in filmmaking. But it, they had a product, they knew how it worked, and for the most part, the last seven or eight years has been consistently entertaining product. I would not call the Avengers Infinity War Endgame movies great cinema, but they were fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I've said it before, they're like uh, amusement park rides. But... Um, uh, yeah, Falcon and the Winter Soldier wasn't like that. And it's a real shame because um, Anthony Mackie and um, Sebastian Stan have fantastic chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't expect their chemistry to be that well evolved, but they're fun to watch. They just didn't give them anything worth... It was never a fight. I was like, what is... <laughs> I don't get it. What is everyone fighting about? I do not understand it. And actually, what this comes down to is... That freaking blip, man. The fucking Marvel blip uh, at the end of Avengers uh, and Infinity War. The blip was when everyone was wiped out at the end of Infinity War. And then at the end of Endgame, everybody was brought back five years later. And that was such a terrible story choice the Russo brothers did in the in the Endgame film because they just left it like that. Like, oh, okay, the, uh, half the universe's population was wiped out for five years, and now it's not. And... I mean, come on, it would be worldwide unrest, like economic collapse and everything about right. the world would be... But in they di- just disappeared. <laughs> they just disappeared and then they came back. And the problem is they keep referencing these, the difficulties of that. They keep referencing things like, okay, there are refugees now and there's, there's food distribution issues. And all of that makes sense, but they never dive into it. It's only paid lip service. They never actually show it. So it's all these people talking about what the world is and it's clearly not our world it's a it's a very you know speculative fiction world in which half the population disappeared for 5 years but they're not exploring the repercussions of that in a way that makes any sense and they've had this is their third they've had Spider-Man Far From Home WandaVision and now this and you're getting little bits and pieces like oh yeah the the economy went in the toilet and and borders and food distribution but nothing solid mm-hmm. and if you're going to build all of these stories because on some level WandaVision was about life in the post right. uh, Avengers movies and to a certain extent so was Spider-Man Far From Home if you're going to make these stories that touch on this that center around a world that is supposed to be in disarray you got to define that world you got to show me that and it's been three you know one movie and two TV series and they still haven't managed that so rant over <laughs> now <clears throat> i'm gonna sip my water because mm-hmm. that's a lot of talking and you are going to start off with halston yes halston um we've been waiting for a long time um they you know there have been talks about this uh, tv series for a long time but with the pandemic and everything else of course it got delayed but now we have pictures uh, we have a poster and... First look well, images came out today. Yes. They are on our site and they did it the Andy Warhol uh, uh, Polaroids kind of style, which they're very cute. They look like vintage... Uh, Studio 54. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful images. So it's it's Ryan Murphy. Woohoo! But... And you know we have problems with that? <laughs> Queen. 
<laughs> who doesn't anyway but apparently he's more like a producer right he's not he's not directing the 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 show that's my understanding right uh daniel minahan uh is the one directing the show and he's done a ton of stuff i was looking him up and um he's done a, a ton of stuff like house of cards game of thrones hollywood wretched so he has worked with ryan murphy before i know and ratchet was horrifying yes but he did homeland and hollywood um, was horrifying he did other things so he has directed a ton of different shows so maybe maybe it'll be a little better what i like about it, it it's not it, it's that it's just not a it's not a movie it's a tv series so they have time to you know talk more about everything that happened to halston not just you know a two-hour thing right so i hope they take that time to kind of you know talk about a lot of things not just because when you talk about halston you can't not talk about studio 54 talk about the 70s and the 80s you know in new york and uh, talk about the uh, fashion industry at the time. Uh, everything. Drugs, you know, AIDS, everything. There's so much. Cocaine, disco, life. I know, life. exactly. There's so much to talk about when you talk about Halston. So I hope they, they do uh, touch on all that those things that I just mentioned. He was a figure that, that uh, he fascinates us, I think, part, not just because of the fashion stuff and because he was, in some respects, a tragic figure, um, but because he is part of that wave, that post-Stonewall, pre-AIDS wave of gay men that entered the culture, queer men that entered the culture and had an effect on it, uh, in, in things like disco and fashion and stuff like that. Um, and he was one of the people at the head of that wave. He was, he literally was a household name. He was like on the Merv Griffin show and stuff like that. Um, and he was bringing this very queer fashion sensibility to the fore even though it wasn't being talked about that way at the time no i agree i mean th he is so important um the whole you know for the whole fashion industry back in the 70s and 80s i mean it, uh, he pretty much created the idea he american he created modern american sportswear right, as we exactly. know it i mean he designed for so many costumes for so many like girl scouts uh the new york police department uh, the olympic uh team's Everything. So, and he created the whole idea of minimalism uh, when it comes to dressing. Because he, right. he felt that, you know, why have all these bows and, and, and buttons when you're not even unbutton anything? Exactly. So, the whole idea of creating the wrap dress or that very minimalistic look, um, he kind of developed the idea of, of cutting and sewing uh, from, from the bias, right. um, which is his creation. I mean, we watched a documentary. I don't think, probably Netflix will bring it back. But there's a documentary where he actually, he puts the fabric on the floor and he just grabs a pair of scissors and he just cuts. A doesn't dress. Even, yeah, cuts a dress. Doesn't even measure anything. Right. So the man was genius. And, and, it, and I think people were fascinated by him because you know because of his humble beginnings you know he this this small town boy uh, moved to the big city and and made it um, and there's so many great things for the fashion industry also the fact that you know he licensed his name and that's pretty much when that was his downfall his downfall when he licensed his name to J C Penney and at the time people thought that he was damaging you know the whole idea of high end fashion. Uh, doing that and, and it, it, it's funny because now you see all it's these people designers for target and, right. and for H &M. he was a trailblazer right um but it was the 70s and the 80s and so there was a lot of drugs there was a lot of uh other sex. things sex and everything and i guess he he was just mesmerized by that wonderful world and he got caught up in it also because i mean when i say he was a tragic figure the problem not the problem but 
the I guess the tragic part of of um, Halston's life is that he got so caught up in uh, a certain image of himself, a certain right. uh, oat, a high, elegant image of himself, which is not what his background was. And it was something he really felt he had to live up to. It was this very romantic, I can just, as a, you know, a middle class or working class white gay boy, I can, I'm not saying that, but I can understand why that image was so powerful to him growing up. You just, you know, little gay boys want to escape, not just the, you know, the, their, um, the restrictions put on them, but in a lot of cases, the the begin their humble beginnings that just weren't fabulous enough for them. There's a that's a very old story among queer men who sort of leave their homes and go reinvent themselves. And I think there's a lot of poignancy in that story, as you know, as this seminal queer figure who was also a seminal American fashion figure, and how those two those things intersect. That's what I'm hoping for, and that's why I, I'm. Ryan Murphy, I got some problems with the dude, but he does understand when a story is a queer story. I guess that's what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. When he, he understands when a story is supposed to be queer focused. And I think of ev- anyone who could produce a Halston miniseries, I'm kind of glad it's him mm-hmm. in some way. There's a lot yeah, of opportunity for it to go bad because his instincts are I hated Ratchet, I hated Hollywood. But um I want someone in there guiding that project who understands that it isn't just a fashion story. It isn't just a glamorous story. It is a gay story. Uh, and a lot of Halston's, it, a lot of Halston's success, as well as a lot of the aspects of his downfall are tied into his identity as mm-hmm. a gay man, as a white gay man in the mid century, you know, who grew up in the mid century. It's, it's a fascinating story. And it is a very important story as, as a designer because he was gay and it was, it was a time when you didn't, Say you were gay, you know. No, uh, as a famous person, and he was like not. He was fey. I was going to say effeminate, but he's not. He was fey. He was right, right. Pretty everyone knew but he so was every, gay. Everybody knew he was gay, but it wasn't something that you you published about. in a magazine right. or, or came out as gay. Now, um, and he had his famous entourage with all these fabulous the Yes, all with all these fabulous people. Uh, the uh, Halstonets were actually the models that. He used to go everywhere with right. him, uh, but he also had his friends, you know, like Les Minnelli and who else? Uh, so many. Um, Elsa Peretti. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm. <clears throat> the costumes look great. I can't wait to see the costumes. The costumes were designed by uh, Jerry Anderson Juan. Can't wait to see them. Um, we saw a little bit, but I want to see more. I'm excited about it. It's, yeah, it's a fascinating story. It's a very important story. Comes for out the, in uh, I think on America. May fourteenth. On Netflix. I'm sorry. It, it's a very important uh, story for the uh, American fashion industry. Um, you know, it, it's fascinating. I mean, when you think about the man, the man started uh, designing hats for Berg, uh, Bergdorf uh, Goodman. He designed the uh, pillbox hat, right, for the uh, Jacqueline Kane inauguration. Yeah. Mm. Uh, which she That's wore right. for the, yeah, she wore uh, the inauguration. So, Anyway, very talented man, um, and it's just a very interesting story, and I can't wait to see it. So, yeah, it drops in May, and we'll definitely be covering it in May. Um, right, right, right. So, fair. oh, and I just wanted to, one final thing. I don't even have an answer for the question this poses, but no one seems pressed at all that Halston is being played by a straight man. Oh, right. Um, Ewan McGregor is Play. And actually, that's very good casting, not necessarily because there's a physical resemblance, but because I think um, 
uh, Ewan would be very good at playing that sort of bored, fake elegance mm-hmm. that yes. Halston, you know, embodied. Um, but, I, you know, it depends. Sometimes you, you hear people, gay activists and writers and critics, getting very angry when some gay, uh, when some straight actor plays gay, especially if they're playing a famous gay person, um, like um, Rami Malek playing uh, Freddie Mercury. Like, mm-hmm. that was an issue back then. Uh, that was only a couple of years ago. Um, but no one seems to care. And I don't know why that is. Personally, I don't care. Although I've never raised that big of an issue over straight actors playing gay. Yeah, I we talked about this. And I, I, I feel like we need to, um, I don't know, give more opportunities to the gay actors. I absolutely agree. And um, instead of restricting certain roles to just them. Because uh, otherwise, you can question the same thing, you know, why are gay people playing straight roles? So, you know what I mean? Like, right. you, you can't get there. Um, so maybe we just need to give everyone an opportunity to play something. Um, I do like him. I think he's great. Uh, I still think about the movie Down With Love. Mm-hmm. Is that Down With Love or something like that? Yeah. You know, he was hysterical. I think he's a great actor. I think he's um, the type of actor he has no problem playing a gay person. No. And I think that's fantastic. He's played gay before. Right. So it's great. It's great. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I am. I am curious if any of our gay listeners have a thought on him playing a a Mm -hmm. gay man, such a famous gay man, such a culturally important gay man. So personally, I don't. Um, And yeah, Mm, I I just don't have an issue with it. I don't know if that has to do with Ewan or whether that has to do with... um, um, Halston himself, uh, or whether it's because Ryan Murphy's in charge of it. I have no idea. But I don't think I've ever made... I, I think it bothered me when Rami Malek played Freddie Mercury. Well, it bothered a lot of people. Because he was so flamboyant, Mercury. It bothered a lot of people because Rami Malek uh, went on a campaign to pretty much say that Fred Mercury wasn't just gay. That, that was, Well, he was bisexual. I mean, yeah, I don't want to do yeah, bisexual. Yeah, for like five reason. seconds. Anyway, but my point is that every time they asked about uh, Fred Mercury being gay or, or any gay subject, he would avoid any question about it. Yeah. So, he, yeah, that was the PR approach that I, I really hated about yeah. it, the whole movie. And the problem with that movie was that it did actually... Um, it's it, I, there were, I'm not going to get into it. We talked about it at the time. Mm-hmm. The, the movie had some problematic inferences about uh, Freddie's queerness mm-hmm. and seemed to imply that his queerness was a problem in his life, like a problem rather than maybe homophobia was the problem. Anyway, uh, different different takes, different stakes, right. and different actors. So we'll see. Uh, I, don't ha- I don't feel that um, there's going to be any moment where Ewan McGregor, you know, tries to assert his heterosexuality when he's doing press for this film. Like Rami Malek did that. He would sort of assert that he, he himself... avoided any question yeah. about what's related to... So I don't see... Yeah. Um, you and he's so freaking charming and i don't think he has a problem but he's like i said he's played gay before so i have no issue i don't know let me know let us know if you guys have any issues with this because we'd love to hear i'm not i'm not about to argue the point with someone if you have an issue with it you should i'd love to hear that anyway uh we gotta get back to work there's uh much more pre-oscars work to done to get done post to get up today rupaul's drag race finale tonight yeah on our plates right Mm. now lots of plates spinning in the air so 
to mix our plate metaphors. So, kittens, we're going to sign off now. Um, once again, thank you for listening to our cartoon yes, voices. thank you so much. And we'll be back next week with whatever passes in front of our eyes or our desks. On behalf of the very silent Mew Mew. I know. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Mew Mew. Because she planted herself in front she, of the microphones. Yeah, yeah she was um, right here on the table. Anyway, love you. Mean it. Bye-bye.